the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you got a money question for the show, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, it's all fair game. Shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. Well, let's talk a little bit about just January in general. Now we're day two of February, so I'm doing this show. And January is a rough month. But the last week of trading or so was pretty decent. Uh, tech rebound, of course. Uh, Alphabet. Earnings report is helping on that pop, but um, we waking up today before the market opens. SP 500 down 4.6% for the year. The NASDAQ down 8% for the year. The Russell 2000, which is that small and mid cap style index, down 8.5%. And bonds in general, Barclays Aggregate Bond Index down 2% for the year. Um, I do want to point out though, I mean, remember how similar the NASDAQ and the SP 500 have become? Because most people hear about the S P 500, the Dow, and the NASDAQ, right? And it's, it, it can get a little bit confusing because they report it like it's all very different. And S&P and NASDAQ have become more and more similar um, in terms of the tech weighting. So, and the Dow is 30 stocks. And so it's a little bit different. It's much more, less diversified. Um, but let's look at it because if we look at the NASDAQ, you know, the NASDAQ is, is kind of two things, right? And the NASDAQ is where some companies list and trade. And, but it's also an index. That, and you can buy the index through like QQQ, which is an ETF. That's the symbol QQQ. It's 12% Apple, 10% Microsoft, 6.5% Amazon, 5% about in Facebook, now called Meta Platforms. Uh, three point almost nine percent in Tesla, and then between the two, Google slash Alphabets, um, it's about seven percent there, and then three point six percent Nvidia, one point eight Adobe, and then boom, you got Pepsi. Pepsi sneaks in there at one point eight percent. If we look at the S and P five hundred again, like I keep pushing, this is not a f- equal uh, investment into five hundred of the largest companies in America. It's it's weighted average. It's now 7% Apple, 6% Microsoft, 3% Amazon, about a little over 5% between the two alphabets, 1.2% in Facebook. I'm sorry, 1.9% in Facebook and uh, Tesla's 1.8. Then you got Berkshire Hathaway before you get out of the tech area at 1.5, NVIDIA at 1.5, Johnson & Johnson at 1.2. See what I mean? 
pretty similar. And the correction this year has really been driven by tech stocks and biotech and some a little bit of healthcare and small cap aggressive growth stuff, stuff that got too expensive because small cap funds had huge runs from April of 2020 after the downturn. And you would have bought in, you'd had some pretty big size returns. And then a lot of fund managers started trimming. Bitcoin down 19% year to date. Now check this out. Remember when we were talking about Bitcoin in the past and some of the issues with it. I mean, it's when, when you buy cryptocurrency, you have pretty large commissions. It reminds me of when I first got into the business 28 years ago. And when pe- people wanted to buy stocks, you had to call your broker. And if you wanted to buy $100,000 worth of stocks, you get charged a 2% commission, $2,000, right? And now you can trade stocks for free pretty much anywhere. Now, it's not necessarily free because there's a little bit of, they get in the bid and ask, but basically for free, okay? Now, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is a ETF um, style of investment. It's actually not technically an ETF, it's a trust. The symbol is GBTC. Um, there's, there tends to be some rules for buying and holding, how long you have to hold it. It doesn't trade 24-7 like Bitcoin itself does. And when you look at the investment strategy, it says the investment objective of the trust is for the NAV per share to track the Bitcoin market price per share, less the trust liabilities, including estimated accrued expenses. So they deal with futures. And when you have a wild, wild west newer asset, the actual price of the asset versus the futures, there's, there's a bigger discrepancy there. So it's interesting to see Bitcoin itself down 19% for the year, but Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is down 23%. Um, I don't know, clo- follow it enough to know if it's trading at a premium or a discount because in the past it was trading at more of a premium versus the underlying asset, but it's interesting to know. So, um, and I'll maybe get a little bit into crypto a little bit later. Um, this is, this is what I want to point out there because I did, I've done a couple meetings with clients, kids, you know, clients that I've had forever and their kids are now one is a, is in his first year of residency, becoming a doctor. And we've had a couple of meetings and told him a couple of things to do. Um, the, where he was working as a resident, he's only going to be there for about two years. So I told him to open a Roth IRA. That's where you start your savings first. If, if you have an employer that does not have a match on the 401k, just go open a Roth IRA. And there's a bunch of different, for starting investors, a couple of different ways to do it. But so the easiest ways is some of these robo-advisors that have a pre-made portfolio of index funds or ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Those are basically like index funds that trade you know, all day long like a stock, whereas an index fund only gets one price a day. Okay? And I think a really easy one, I think it's free for the first 10,000 last I looked, is Fidelity Go. You got a kid that wants to open up a, a Roth account and have it automatically diversified between a large cap index fund, a mid cap, a small cap, international emerging markets, and have it all in one place. Fidelity Go can do that. Um, so the first step is if a person is working for an employer, tell them to put enough money into the Roth 401k to get the match for younger people. Then if you can afford to save more, go open up a Roth IRA. And Again, look at some of the robo-advisors. There's even ones that are really geared towards environmentally and socially investing and geared towards women. And, but I think Fidelity for the first 10,000 is kind of an easy one. Um, I like the Acorn app for monthly investments. So if you download the Acorn app, you'll notice a $3 a month subscription fee. 
but you can sign up for like 50 bucks a month. And also when you tie your credit cards and debit cards to it, it'll round your purchases up and make you invest more. So you could do, if you buy a cup of coffee for $5.50, you, it will round it up to six bucks, take it out of your account and put it into a diversified portfolio of basic ETFs, exchange traded funds, broad, super low cost indexes. Great way to start. And if you're only putting a small amount per month in, it also allows it to buy fractional shares. And that's kind of the, I think Schwab's figuring this out, but, but the, a lot of times ETFs, if it's trading for $75, but you're only putting in 50 bucks a month until you build up enough cash, you, you, you have to manually place that trade at like Fidelity or Schwab. But in a, in a robo option where it automatically gets invested for you, it invests it for you and it will buy fractional shares for you. Okay. Then if you kind of go beyond that and you, let's say you get, here, here's an extra $500,000, $2,000 that all of a sudden you want to invest uh, and you want to open up a brokerage account like Fidelity or Schwab, you can buy a whole bunch of different ETFs without a trading cost. But I do want to uh, point out like when you trade at TD Ameritrade, which has been purchased by Schwab, so eventually all TD accounts will be Schwab accounts. When a person goes in and buys an ETF, they have to go in a second route and sign up for the dividend reinvestment. It doesn't automatically occur on the trade at TD Ameritrade. And that's a huge part if you're trying to teach kids about investing is to teach them about the dividends because that's passive income. They like that. The more stocks you own, the more passive income you have. And if you reinvest those dividends, it just continues to buy more shares over time, which will increase the dividend over time. And then we typically get into those conversations of cryptocurrency and things like that. And, you know, I typically say, go, go use like Coinbase to, to buy crypto. That's a, a different animal versus normal investing. Finishing up a thought, a couple of thoughts on cryptocurrency. Because um, I get Bitcoin, I get Ethereum. Um, Ethereum, what that's built on, it's, you know, the backbone of the technology. It's the decentralized finance. It's, it's, it has its uses. The technology is pretty interesting. What I can't get my head around yet is these non-fungible tokens that people are paying for. <laughs> it just, it blows my mind. Now I get, if we look at what a non-fungible token is, if you're an artist, if you, especially if you're like a photographer or film video clips and you, you have this proof of ownership, but, but then what? So I'm having trouble wrapping my head around that. And I, what I hate it is I see these big swells of everybody pulling other people into crypto and NFTs on social media right before we have big declines. If you don't think that's designed, you're crazy. Um, remember these, you know, altcoins like the, the Shibu coin and all that stuff. It's basically about zero right now. Um, and that was super popular about six months ago, especially on social media. Um, I don't look at it as investing. I look at it as it's, it's, it's trading, right? It's, a long time before it's stable enough. And first of all, you have an alternative currency, but it's priced in US dollars. That's what makes it hard for people to kind of wrap their head around. Um, the, the reason why I don't look at it as an investment, it's more of a store of value, um, is because when, I look, when, when you look at a stock, you can look at, you know, here's revenues. Okay, this is what their costs are to do the business. And then this is what their profits are. And this is what you're paying, earnings per share, you have revenue growth. Is it going the right direction? What's future products and services? You can analyze it. This is just something that you're 
expecting other people to also want and to be willing to pay more for. And it's very volatile, very, very volatile. I mean, you've seen it from this big pullback that we've had since, you know, just since January. What's interesting though is, and again, I don't like yet, and there's not a real ETF for it, the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust of GBTC. Um, it, a lot of fees inside of it and it's in futures. And so they can get some price to contango risk you, right? You don't get the right, it doesn't track perfectly. But also when you buy or sell crypto on like Coinbase or anywhere else, there's actually decent sized commissions to do it. But I did notice when I was checking out some other things on nerdwallet.com for credit cards, um, looking at rewards, I always feel like "Mm, I'm probably not using credit card rewards the, the right way. I've got a very wealthy client that has a stack of credit cards and plays the points game and moves stuff around and gets all sorts of free stuff. And it's kind of a hobby. And my problem is by the time I get done with a you know eight to 12 hour work day, I just don't like to deal with finance issues. So I don't look at credit cards that often, but something caught my eye is that crypto is a credit card reward. Interesting. Okay. Some credit cards offer crypto as a reward or an option for reward redemption. The options are expanding rapidly, but some early entrants, according to Nerd Wallet, to the market include SoFi credit card, the Brex card, the Venmo credit card, the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature credit card, the Gemini credit card, and the Upgrade Bitcoin Rewards card. So if you haven't like gone out and bought it yet, and here's what I tell. I mean, when I have older people ask me about it and I look at their computer and it's like five, six years old and they've got a password book where they write down their passwords, do not go buy Bitcoin or Ethereum because you're going to get hacked and you're going to lose everything. You got to have extremely secure computer, a password uh, protection you know, program, like a, a password keeper where it's dual authentication <clears throat> for everything. Because I've, I've known people in, even in this industry, I know a guy that used to uh, rep a certain mutual fund company and I saw his Coinbase hack play out over months on social media where he's just you know, complaining about lack of customer service with Coinbase and all this other stuff. So yeah, the poor guy got his Coinbase account hacked and lost all of his Bitcoin. I don't know how much it was, but it's sad no matter what when you lose money. So interesting. So keep that keep that in mind. And uh, if you uh, want to jump on and tell me why you're buying NFTs and thousands of dollars for a picture of a monkey, um, I know people because some of you guys I don't talk about this much, but I'm really really into wake surfing, snowboarding, and wake surfing. Two of my passions and. Did some competition on it. So, now the people in the wake surfing industry, and um, yeah, you do competitions. You can do big, like 360 shoves and back, big back, uh, back spin, big spins, and all sorts of cool stuff on a, on a wake surf board behind a boat. And I know a couple of kids that have some really big tricks, and they're in their early 20s and they're turning their videos of there's, there's tricks that are already out there on the internet into NFTs. They're selling the NFT along with a signature model of their wake surfboard. It's quite interesting on how this is all playing out. I, I don't, don't quite get the NFT so far, but some of the theory behind that is, is that we're all eventually going to have VR you know, goggles like Oculus, right? Which is pretty crazy to play. And you're going to have two worlds, your normal world and your VR world. 
And maybe that's the artwork for your VR world is all the NFTs that you've bought. And so I'm going to have a very boring VR world if I don't buy NFTs, I guess. I don't know. Don't quite get that one. Anyway, a couple of updates for you guys um, as you're trying to do your financial planning. Just thought this was interesting to throw it out there. IRS numbers for 2022. When it comes to taxes, everybody's starting to think about their taxes. And by the way, if you have investment accounts outside of retirement accounts, like a normal brokerage account, Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, I typically don't tell people to file until late March, early April. Have it all ready and have everything to your CPA, but don't file till late March or early April because even if you get your 1099 in this next week, it's not going to be correct. They usually do at least three rounds of revisions. So I don't even know why they send them out in February and, and early March. They should just wait until they're finished classifying dividends properly and things like that. So the way taxes work is that you either file a uh, standard deduction or a or you itemize your deductions. There's no more personal exemption. You're either taking your itemized deductions or you itemize your property taxes plus your state taxes up to 10 grand plus your mortgage interests plus your charitable deductions, your medical expenses over 775 or 7.5% of your income. Or you're taking the standard deduction, whichever's greater. For married people, that's 25,900 and single, that's 12,950. So you know the first, if you're married, the first 25,600 or gosh, 25,900 you make is tax-free. If you're single, 12,950, the first amount is tax-free. And then they updated some of the tax rates. So the tax rates, when you make over and above those amounts, either your itemized deduction or the standard deduction, whichever is greater, then you've got a 10, a 12, a 22, a 24, 32, 35, and a 37% rate. You got to know kind of where your income lies in that different area so that you can do your withholding properly on your paycheck. Kids, now you get a $1,500 tax credit. You can get phased out on higher income limits. And what's important, and this gets more important for retirement planning on how we blend income when we design an income strategy for retirement. You have your standard deduction and you got to realize that if, if you don't take your social security currently or you don't take your uh, uh, money out of your IRAs or anything else, you can take a ton of money by selling stocks and creating capital gains at a low rate. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Talking about some of the updates on tax numbers for the year. And first of all, Again, understanding what happens when you file your tax return. The software is figuring out your situation in two ways. Because the first, at a minimum, if you're married, um, the first $25,900 that you make is tax-free. If you're single, it's $12,950. That's your standard deduction. If your itemized deductions are higher than that, then you itemize. To be higher than that, if you're married filing single, it means that your property taxes plus your state and local income taxes that you pay up to 10 grand plus your mortgage interest plus your charitable donations plus expenses over seven and a half percent of your income for medical costs exceed 25,900. So for most retired people that are, you know, they don't have much of a mortgage, they're, they're, they're taking the standard deduction, right? So then there's the income tax brackets. 
So the number's above that. So let's say we realize that you're married filing jointly and you're only making 25,900. That first, or you're only, you're, I'm sorry, your first 25,900 is tax free, but you're making more than that. So the next 20,550 is at 10%. And then there's a 12% bracket. And then you're in the 22% bracket all the way up to 83,550. Right? And then there's a 24, 32, 35, 37. Now check this out. The capital gains bracket, it's different. It, it works differently. So what qualifies as a capital gain? First of all, dividends that you receive. If you have a stock in a normal brokerage account, not in a retirement account, but it's an account that you have at you know, TD, Schwab, Fidelity, or a joint account with your spouse or in a trust, dividends from companies in the US like Apple, and Cisco and places like that, that income is qualified dividends. It's taxed as a capital gain. Okay. And then any stock that you, or mutual fund or ETF that you own in a taxable account, as long as you hold it for over 12 months and then sell it, the gains are taxed as a capital gain. Same with real estate over a 12 month holding period. If you don't have any other income except capital gains and, and that qualified dividend income, the first 25900 if you're married, is free, tax-free. Then you could have another 83350 of dividend and capital gain income on top of that and still pay zero taxes. Think about that for a minute. Still pay zero taxes. So theoretically, as you get to retirement, one of the things that you can do is if you have a bunch of different types of accounts, you have taxable accounts, you have uh, IRA accounts, you have Roths, you can alter your income back and forth where one year you could sell a bunch of your stock up to a gain of over a hundred grand because of the standard deduction and pay zero federal taxes. And then the next year you can work on your IRAs either by spending some of that or uh, converting some of that money to a Roth. Now, what's interesting about how capital gains work, and this gets a little bit fuzzy, especially for radio, is that whatever your ordinary income number is, it can push you up into the next capital gains tax bracket. So if you've got, you know, 100, if, well, it's, it's hard to explain, but when you look at the capital gains bracket, your ordinary income can push your capital gains up into that next bracket. The next bracket when it comes to capital gains is the 15%. And then there's a 20%. And then there's a 3.8% Medicare tax on top of that. And the numbers get pretty high. So um, basically between 83350 and up to $517,000, that's a 15% capital gains rate. Uh, so look, the investing part, honestly, for what we do is, is some of the easier stuff that we do. It's the tax planning and income design in retirement and how you keep taxes lower for longer and realize how the brackets worth and work and which accounts you should draw from on an annual basis. Okay. A couple other things that have gone up with inflation per, per the IRS is the amount that you can gift to any one person without filing a gift tax return. That went up to $16,000. So if you want to give $16,000 to your kid or grandkid, you can do that without filing any gift tax return. So if you're married, you can each give 16000 to a grandkid, for example. So you give 32000 a year without filing a gift tax return. 
Now, you can gift more than that. I mean, you can gift up to $12 million while you're alive if you want and file a gift tax return. And there's no taxes due. All that happens is you file a gift tax return and it eats away at the amount that you can finally leave to your heirs when you die without an estate tax. That's how gift taxes, gift tax returns work. It's really just like a ledger. Now, that amount that you can leave to your heirs when you die also went up. In 2022, it's $12,060,000 $12, per person. So if you're single and you're not projected to be worth over $12 million, you're not going to pay an estate tax at the federal level. Now, you will in Oregon and Washington. States like that have state-level estate taxes. So before you move to Washington thinking you're going to pay a lot less in income taxes, it might catch you in the end when you die on estate taxes. Okay, So a married couple filing jointly, unless they're worth or projected to be worth over 12 or $24 million, then they don't have an estate tax problem. Well, the issue is, is that that's all going to get cut in half in 2026. So no matter what Biden has proposed which pretty much everything's dead at this point. Um, there's no you know, tax income and the infrastructure bill is pretty much dead. If it, no, nobody acts, the 2017 tax cut expires in 2026. And so that value is cut in half. That means if you're single and you're projected to be worth over 12 million or married and you're projected to be worth over 24 million, you should do some estate planning. You don't have to rush like we thought we were going to have to rush at the end of last year because of Biden's proposal, which is a nightmare. It was one of the worst year-end planning issues in the 28 years that I've been doing this. It was just really frustrating. Um, You've got some time to do it. You can set up spousal lifetime access trust, GST accounts for your kids, dynasty trusts, um, you know, all sorts of different options that are out there to take advantage of this higher gift credit. It's not a rush, but look, it's likely going to expire in 2026. And so, you know, make sure you talk to your certified financial planner. If you don't have one, obviously you can find me, chadburton.com, uh, and, and get moving on the estate planning side. Estate planning is a little bit more complicated because the expiring thing that's coming up and also, IRAs are not as attractive as they used to be for your kids. It used to be that if you died, um, first of all, your spouse can always roll it into their IRA and just continue to move on. But once your kids get it, they used to be able to defer that taxes over their entire lifetime. And now because of the SECURE Act that was passed during COVID, they have to pay the taxes within a 10-year period. And so now if you're wealthy and your kids are at a high bracket, doing larger IRA to Roth conversions is going to be very attractive to your family. Because at least if they inherit a Roth, the kids can then have tax-free growth up until the 10th year, and then they have to cash it out. They can cash it out whenever they want, but they'll have, they could leave it alone for 10 years, growing totally tax-free. That's huge. The stock market tends to double every 10, 11 years. So that's a huge benefit. Um, so IRAs, they pay the taxes over 10 years. Roths, Tax-free growth for 10 years. Stocks, they get a step up in basis. They can sell it tax-free. Real estate, they get a step up in basis. They can sell it tax-free. So IRAs need to be dealt with. <laughs> if you have any charitable intent and you want to leave a certain amount of, church, of your money to church or charity, when you die, target your IRA accounts because the charities will never pay taxes on that. And there's specific ways you do that. Typically now what we're doing with retirement accounts is your spouse is your primary beneficiary. 
And then your trust, if you have one, is your contingent beneficiary. We didn't used to do that, but now we do. Um, and then that way your trustee can you know, look at the instructions on the trust, which says if there's any charitable gifts, then it comes out of the IRA. All right. So moving on to another topic here. I'll try to get into this a little bit, but you know, many people are looking at rebalancing their accounts. That's why we're seeing a lot of volatility this January because tech and healthcare has done so well over the last couple of years. It's not surprising that people are taking gains, especially when there's any news against tech. Okay, it's time to, to trim and take some gains off the table. Because if you're an S&P 500, you're mostly an Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, right? No, I've got to call it Alphabet. I can't get over that. Um, and so people hear about certain terms. And sometimes I have to step back after doing this you know, 28 years since I was 19 years old and realize, okay, some of the terms that I say aren't, they're, they're a little bit difficult, right? Because people hear the term exchange all the time. For example, you hear the term 1031 exchange. That is where if you have a rental property and you don't want that rental property anymore because the income is low and you've used up all the depreciation, you want to sell it. You can do a 1031 exchange and sell that property and roll it into one that has equal or highly, slightly higher value and get a brand new rental property without paying any taxes. There's also a 1035 exchange. And these 1031 and 1035, that's a tax code. 1035 exchange is when you have a really bad annuity, a non-qualified, non-IRA annuity, and you don't like it and you want to get a better one because now there's no load and non-commissioned ones, you can do a 1035 tax-free exchange from one annuity contract to another without paying taxes. You can do the same thing. If you've got a really crappy life insurance policy that has cash value, but it's going to be taxed if you cash it in, you can do a 1035 exchange into a better life insurance policy. Maybe one that will pay for your long-term care if you go into a nursing home. There's those options out there. And then you hear the term, you log into your you know, 401k.com Fidelity account and it asks you if you want to exchange funds in your 401k. This is where it gets a little bit tricky. Getting back to some of the terms that can get confusing. Um, we talked about the term exchanges and then, you know, there's this, I think most people know that when you have a Roth IRA, an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, any retirement account, when you do your rebalancing, you're buying and selling, there's no taxes due, right? They're inside a taxed, a tax deferred account. And in a taxable account, I guess this is where it gets confusing because I got an email from Matt and Matt said, I have a UTMA and I want to move from one fund into a different fund with the same brokerage firm. If I do an exchange, does that trigger a taxable event? What's the difference between an exchange and a rebalance? And that's a great question. So a UTMA, Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, it's an account that Matt's parents set up for him. And... Inside that account, you can you know, buy or sell stock, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever you want to do. Um, but anytime you trade one fund for another, whether or not they call it exchange or, or not, because you could be in a fund company. For example, you could own a mutual fund at Vanguard and a UTMA and you want to exchange one Vanguard mutual fund, maybe the S&P 500 for the total stock market index. Even though they call it an exchange, that is a taxable event. The reported gains will occur on that first fund that you own. And that, so that's interesting because you could be looking into 401k and showing that oh, I want to exchange funds for another. That's non-taxable. And they could be calling the same thing in a taxable account. So it, it just yeah, it can get a little bit confusing. 
So what's the difference between an exchange and a rebalance? Well, exchanging is usually I'm just exchanging one fund for another. That's non-taxable in a retirement account. It's taxable in a taxable account. When you rebalance, you're making several trades at once. You're looking at your pie chart. You're saying, okay, my large cap growth, my small cap value has gone way up. My emerging markets, I'm way under allocated to it. I'm way under allocated to international small cap value. So I'm going to sell some large cap growth, some large cap or small cap growth, and I'm going to redeploy that cash and buy a little bit of the stuff that I'm light on. It's a full pie chart rebalance, if that makes sense. Most 401ks, you can set this up so it happens automatically for you on at least an annual basis. Right? So keep that in mind. That, that's a full rebalance when you're looking at all your asset classes. The, the way you look at it, asset classes is in two ways. In general, you have large cap stocks, uh, mid cap stocks, small cap stocks. It's just based on the company size. Right? And the S&P 500, that's all large cap stocks. The Russell 2000, that's mostly small and mid cap stocks to give you an idea. Um, and then you also have international and you have emerging markets. International would be company, countries like, you know, or areas like Europe where it's developed nations that are, you know, they've been around for a long time and developing or emerging markets. China's in there, but it doesn't really make sense anymore because it's kind of its own deal. Um, but, you know, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, those types of places um, would be even India, emerging markets where you have a massively growing middle class. It's, it's newer economies. Then you also have like different sectors, right? You have 11 sectors in the S&P 500 between technology and financials and real estate, industrial stocks. So you have to drill down at different levels and see it. If you're buying just index funds for your first 250 to 500,000, you're, you're going to be okay on the sector allocation in most cases. And you can worry about the asset allocation between large, small, mid-cap, international, emerging. So. <clears throat> Here's what gets a little bit tricky for people, though, is they are investing outside of the retirement account. So let's say you are you have your 401k maxed out, you're doing a Roth IRA, and you've been saving outside of retirement accounts in a normal brokerage account. The best thing to buy in your normal brokerage account is large cap ETFs or stocks that you're going to be holding for a long time because they're very tax efficient. You're only paying taxes on the dividends. There's very rarely a change that creates a capital gain. They're very tax efficient. You don't want to buy small cap growth funds in your taxable account when you're at a high bracket, if you can avoid it. You don't want to buy REITs in a taxable account when you're in a high tax bracket. They kick off a lot of capital gains distributions and a lot of income that you're paying taxes on even though you're reinvesting everything. So as you start to build wealth outside of your retirement accounts, your taxable account should focus on large cap and mid cap ETFs, exchange traded funds. But that means you may need to adjust where you're contributing your money. Because when you go to rebalance everything, you don't want to make a lot of changes in your taxable account. You pay taxes. So most of the changes occur in your retirement accounts. And so you start buying less and less large cap in your retirement accounts and start adding to small cap international emerging markets. And it's usually better for younger people building wealth to, instead of trade their way into a rebalance, is contribute their way into a rebalance. You don't need to sell. If you're way light on small cap or emerging markets, then for the next several months, focus your bi-weekly contributions in your 401k into that asset class until it gets back to a normal level. You don't have to sell. And that's, I think, a little bit 
better way to do it. Real quickly, I wanted to go over an email um, from Ray, and this is a surprise for some people, an extra expense in retirement that they might not th- be thinking about. He was really surprised that as he retired from the union, where he would pay for his medical costs pre-tax because he was getting a paycheck and they had the, you know, basically what, what a the cafeteria plan kind of set up that, that allows you to pay for your health insurance costs pre-tax. Well, when he retired, he didn't realize that it wouldn't be deductible anymore. Because most people, especially early in retirement, are not able to itemize their medical expenses. Your medical expenses, including your health insurance premiums, have to be over seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income to be deductible. So if you're making 100 grand a year, the first $7,500 is not deductible when it comes to your medical costs. So that's a, a, a surprise cost between taxes and Medicare Part B, IRMA if you make a lot of money, which is a big extra cost on your Medicare Part B premiums, and then supplemental insurance that you still need to buy that's more expensive than you think and it's no longer likely deductible for you. So it's all part of your retirement plan that should be very carefully thought of. If you need some help with your retirement planning, that's what we specialize in. Just go to chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find the links to all the podcasts, options, and LinkedIn, Facebook. It's all there at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.